Hey, this is Mike Brake, the lead pastor at Freedom Church in Los Alamos. Just want to say thank you so much for stopping by the podcast today. I hope you feel encouraged and I hope you feel inspired today to take your next step of faith with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Without further ado, I want to introduce our guest speaker. Uh, pastor Chuck McCullough is going to be joining us. And Pastor Chuck, um, he was a pastor at White Rock Baptist Church uh, here in, in the Los Alamos area for over 30 years. And he retired uh, uh, recently. And honestly, I, I knew Chuck. I had maybe shook his hand and maybe said hello while I've been in Los Alamos, but it wasn't until he retired, about the same time Freedom Church started, and we had breakfast together. And we've, we've met a handful of times just meeting. Every time I'm like cry, crying or I'm, I'm about one layer deep. I'm like, you're not going to see me cry, but I'm, it's like all right there. And Chuck just is one of those when you get to meet him and be around him, you're just like, I am, I'm just, I feel better when I'm around him. I want to be better when I'm around him. His presence is just, there's a lot of passion. When I meet with him, there's a lot of wisdom. If you've been under his pastoral care or got to meet him, like it's just a blessing, an absolute blessing. And so I'm excited today because I'm like, he's here. And the past two times he's come to speak at Freedom, I've been gone. And so this is the first time I get to see him preach live. uh, And I'm excited. But more importantly than any of all those things, Chuck, I'm just, I'm really grateful in our time together that I just get to call you friend. You're a great friend. And I'm just ecstatic to have you come, bless our church. We're already going to be blessed because you're here, but just to have you speak to us. So without further ado, could you please just give him a big, warm freedom welcome? My friend, Pastor Chuck McCullough. Well, good morning, and I am so delighted to see you. It's been a long time, hasn't it? We've, we've been down the road. A few things have happened since we were together, and I, uh, I'm just delighted to get to be here and be with you. I, as it turns out, just a couple weeks ago was my, my fourth anniversary of being away from White Rock Church, and I've uh, done interim pastoring. I also went, went, went back to work at the lab. I know that sounds pretty weird, <clears throat> but I... I worked at the lab, you ready for this, in 1974. And I realized some things have changed since then. Uh, some things are not normal, or they're not the way they were. But I don't want to talk about that, because I'm excited to get to be with you. And if you're like most churches, most congregations, you are in a rebuilding time, right? I mean, that's only normal after having gone through a plague like we just went through. And that's what I've been calling it. I call it the plague. It's my own little personal rebellion. I don't want to call it a pandemic. Plus, it has more of a theological ring to it to talk about the plague. But it's always so good as we find ourselves coming through that mess to find ourselves able to get back together. And And tell me if this has been a statement on your lips at some point. I can't wait till we get back to normal. Everybody says that, right? And we feel that so deeply. You know what my prayer is for you? And I promise you this. My prayer for you, Freedom Church, is that you will, as you rebuild, rediscover the very best that you are and that you had and that you have 
and that you will have. That you will rediscover and refine that. But I'm also going to just go ahead and confess to you, I'm not praying that you return to normal. I'm just going to go ahead and confess that. Because it strikes me that these are days of opportunity. When we start recollecting, when we start pulling back together, we realize we could do things differently if we so chose. That we could reimagine, we could, we could redefine, we could discover some new ways of doing things, some new possibilities, a deeper sense of what it means to be the people of God, kingdom people in this broken world where we find ourselves. And I pray that we will not just get back to normal, I really do. I pray for all of us that we'll find and discover some new places. It strikes me that when I read the New Testament that Jesus wanted followers who were not normal, who just didn't fit the mold. And practically everything he said was calling people out of a world that was so politically divided and economically and in every other way broken and divided to a new place, to a new loyalty, to a new sense of purpose. I think that's one reason why Jesus told stories. He loved to tell stories that would make people go, huh? Because he told stories that shook people out of the norm and out of the way things, as they presumed, ought to be. That shook people out of the way that they had always done things. Status quo just didn't work well for Jesus. And when he told stories, he was saying, hey, people, think with me about this. The kingdom of God is not like what you think. It's not like what you've always uh, been trained to believe. It's not what you think has, has just become a part of your expectation in the world. It's something utterly, dramatically different. I mean, he talked about the low-life Samaritan that turned out to be the good guy. He talked about the generous father who waited and watched for his, I'll just go ahead and say it, his, his tattooed, pierced, wasted son to come home. And then here in this text at which we look today, he said something else. He, he gave them a, a principle that was gonna, going to shake them just a bit. In fact, more for some than a little bit. He said, I want you to know this, that in the kingdom the ones who are most important are really not all that important. And the ones who are not really all that important and not even considered by kingdom people as very important at all, they, as a matter of fact, may well be the ones who come in first. Well, let's look at the book, shall we? Do you have your Bible in your hand or your phone in your hand? I am still old school. I got to turn pages because I write in the margins all the time. Someday at my funeral, somebody's going to pick up my Bible because that's what we always do, right? Let me read you a few passages that were his favorites in the Bible. And they're going to come and they're going to find this thing that says, what? Where I write in the margin. I have a, a, a dialogue with my Bible all the time. What? Are you, do you mean this? That sounds kind of harsh. I write that stuff in my Bible all the time. I'm trusting that God will be okay with that. We're looking at Matthew, and actually we're reading chapter 20, the first 16 verses, but we're going to read the last verse of chapter 19 as well. Keep this in mind. <clears throat> we always read the text in the context of, of the book, of the letter, of the gospel. Now Jesus has, there's, there's a long string of interactions with people at various points. He just has had an interaction with the rich young ruler who came up to him and said, Hey, look what I've done. I have kept all the commandments. And Jesus says, uh, 
right? But there's still something else. Well, the disciples right after that said, hey, Lord, look at us. We're the insiders, aren't we? Aren't we the ones who came in first? Aren't we the ones who gave up everything so that we could follow you? Aren't we kind of special as well? More than once, I, 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 don't, I don't think Jesus was bald right here, but more than once he had to do that. One of his disciples came to him and said stuff like that. Because he said, boys, listen to me. You need to understand that the last are going to be first, and the first are going to be last. So let me tell you a story about how that works. And so we come to the last verse of chapter 19, and then the first 16 verses of, of chapter 20. And if I may, may I ask you to stand with me? as we read this text, as we read from the scripture. <clears throat> verse 19, chapter 19, verse 30, but many who are first will be last. Many who are first will be last. And the last, many who are last will be first. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. When he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. But then he went out again about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to those he said, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give you. And so they went. And he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did the same thing. <clears throat> about the eleventh hour. Something sinister about the ring of eleventh hour. But not so sinister here, because he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day long? And they said, because no one hired us. And he said to them, you, get in the vineyard. Come on in right now. I got stuff for you to do. Well, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each one received a denarius. And when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they, they did what we all would do. They grumbled at the landowner saying, These last men have worked only one hour and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day. And he answered and said to them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what's yours and, and go. But I wish to give to this last man the same as you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious or begrudging or resentful? Because I am generous. And so and then Jesus looks up and he says, so guys, the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. The landowner, the guy with all the authority and all the power, here he is. You may be seated. And here we are, as if we're listening to this story as well. <clears throat> For just a minute there. <clears throat> I thought I was going to leave you standing the whole time. That way we'd all get to be together. Here's this guy who says, man, it's harvest time. Let's assume it's harvest time. He's got a ton of grapes to get in. 
and he's got, they got to get sorted and washed, and they got to get inside, they got to get in the press. This is a busy time. So he went to town to hire some extra guys. This is an ancient practice, you know, and we see it right up into modern times. I, I cannot read this passage, but I don't think of early summer mornings when it's already getting really hot there in the little town in rural Oklahoma where I grew up. And it's d dry and dusty, and I'm riding with my dad in our old Radley pickup into town on our way to the feed store or to the hardware store or someplace because we've got to get some stuff for working on the farm. And there was this street corner, and it was right on a parking lot beside the ice plant. And yes, in the little rural town where I grew up, there was an ice plant. That's where you went to get blocks of ice to put in your ice box. Yes, that's just how it worked. I know, that sounds like, wow, man, what age did you grow up in? Well, that's the way it was. Well, on the street corner, there were a bunch of guys. They were dressed for work. They were standing there, and they were waiting, waiting for somebody to come by and their rattly old pickup to hire them for the day so that they could go work in the milk barn or in the cow lot or they could work in the hay field or run somebody's fence line. And they'd work there all day. They'd get paid at the end of the day. Now, my dad, as far as I know, never hired any of those guys because he had two sons who ran his fence line and mucked out his barn. But that's the way it was, and it was common. Those guys would be there every day, all through the summer and all through the winter, hoping for some kind of work. It was common often as we're leaving town to see the old rattly pickup of some farmer leaving town with three or four or five or six guys in the back, and they're going out to work for the day. And they would be back again the next day, waiting again to be brought in to work. So here we have in the story that Jesus tells, same practice, it's 6 o'clock in the morning. The landowner in his ox cart or whatever he's driving comes into town and says, I need some guys. Guess who gets to the first of the line? The guys who know the drill, the guys who've been there, the guys who are experienced, the guys who know this work, the guys who are just a little bit aggressive, the guys who elbow their way to the front of the line. They know how this works, and they're going to be first in line. The farmer says, I, I know you guys. We're pretty sure he did know those guys. Based on some of the subsequent conversation, he knew them pretty well. So he takes them. That's at 6 o'clock in the morning. But you know what? 9 o'clock, the day's heated up. The work is, is, is expanding. He sees he needs more guys. He gets back in the car, and he hauls it into town. There's some more guys. He says, I'll take you guys. Come on. And at 9 o'clock, they're back out at work. At noon, he says, I need more. Back to town. He gets some more guys. Come on, guys. Let's go. We, we got work to do. Let's go. Haul it. Let's go. At 3 o'clock, he needs more. He has said to each of these groups, they're the ones at 9, the ones at noon, the ones at 3, he said, I'm going to pay you a, a, a fair wage, so, so just come on. I, I can use you. What's really weird is that at 5 o'clock, I mean, it's an hour to quitting time, he goes back to town one more time. I still need a few more guys. I need some more. He goes to town, and there's some guys standing on the corner, and they're the last ones. Nobody has picked them up. They're kind of standing there, shuffling their feet, and they're, they're kind of scruffy. They weren't, they weren't aggressive. They, they, probably, they, made, they might have been new to the business, but they just didn't know. And he says, hey, what are you doing here? And they say, well, well we didn't get hired. And he says, well, why haven't you already gone? Because nobody invited us. Nobody hired us. And he says, get in the cart. We're going. 
and he hauls them out to the farm. They are out there. They kind of walk into the vineyard, and they see these people are working, and somebody hands them a cutter, and somebody else hands them a basket, and somebody else hands them a little cart and says, get to work. And they do what they can with what they got for an hour. But now, here's what's really interesting as we read this. The landowner knew those guys, those early guys. He knew what he was going to get from them. He knew that they were reliable. It was easy to see them. They pushed their way to the front. They were right there. He, he knew some of them. Later, he calls them friend. He probably expected to see some of them. But the fact that he kept bringing in other guys all through the day probably caught them by surprise because they knew what they were going to have to do. They knew they were going to work all day. They knew what the pay was. And they likely sort of dismissed the latecomers. And they certainly expected that. Certainly the latecomers were not going to get paid the same thing they were going to get paid. I mean, they're the ones who've been there all day. They're going to get the pay. But things get really weird at this point. It's the end of the day. The laborers line up. They know it's time to get paid. And this is how they get paid. They get paid every day. Guess who pushed to the front of the line? Of course, the guys who had pushed to the front of the line in the morning, they knew. I mean, they were sweat-soaked. They were dirty. They had been working all day, faithful to the end. The early guys pushed to the head of the line. They say, okay, here we are. And the landowner says, nope. Uh, foreman, would you lead these guys to the back of the line? And, and, and Foreman, would you take the guys who came at three and, and lead them and put them right in front of those guys and take the guys who came in at noon and put them in front of those guys and take the guys who came in at 9 o'clock this morning and put them in front of those guys and then bring the guys who came in at 5 and put them right here in the front? Would you do that right now? Whew. Can you imagine? How would you respond if you'd been one of those guys that had borne this scorching heat all day long? Well, that's when the grumbling started. This is a great Greek word here for grumbling. The Greek word is egagudzon. Yeah. It, you, know, it, you know what it is? It's an onomatopoeia. Uh, we have words like that. In fact, the word grumble, 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 that's an onomatopoeia. So is murmur. In fact, the Greek word that's translated murmur sounds all like murmur, 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 murmur. These guys are loud and right in your face, egagudzon, who are these? Who, who is this guy? You're making them equal to us. We've been here. We've worked hard. We've sweat all day. We did all the work. We did more than they did. You got all the work out of us you asked for. We deserve more than they do. This is not fair. Right? Well, those guys had not expected the boss to be so generous. Not generous to these slackers, these lazy, scruffy, hardly worked at all guys who came in at the end of the day and certainly would not pay them the same. How could he possibly do that? If anything, they should get more. Those early guys, they, they we should get more. Those guys, a pittance. You know what this is? This is the classic us versus them parable. Us versus them. 
One group's in the power position where the insiders, the other group's in the weak position, they're the outsiders. The early guy says, we deserve, we have followed the rules, we've done all the work, we've been faithful, we've been good folks all through the days. And those late guys, they don't deserve this generosity. They created the categories, us and them. Now here's what we have to do. That's why I mentioned to somebody earlier, I said, if, if I don't run everybody out by the end of this sermon, we'll, we'll be in good shape. Because you know what we do with parables? We let them poke at our sacred places. In fact, parables probe the deepest reservoirs of our confidence, the way we think things ought to be. It's, it's probably true that if, if Christians, all of us, lived by the parables, we'd be very different people, probably. Because we, we don't want anybody probing at our sacred places. That is the places where we're comfortable, where we're safe, where we're secure, we're confident. We, we want to get back to what's normal. We don't want anything to challenge us or change us. And parables go ding, 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 and probe at our sacred places. And we cannot escape that. And it's true that for a lot of Christians, we may be some of the most efficient and effective at establishing us versus them categories. We can very easily, theologically, denominationally, socially, ethically, ethnically, economically, we can create us and them categories rapidly. And sadly, predictably, we follow the world in this. Nobody needs to tell you what a polarized world is in which we live. Nobody needs to tell you how quickly the whole world divides the world up into us and them, who's inside, who's outside, Who's, who's right and who's not right, who's got the goods and who doesn't. And unfortunately, all of us, because it's in our human nature, we choose a side as well. And we're quick to define who is acceptable and worthy and who is unacceptable and unworthy, who has not been faithful like we have and who is on the outside and doesn't deserve a chance, much less even a pittance. And so we buy into the hurtful rhetoric of us and them. This is our human nature, and in spite of our best intentions, I'll just go ahead and say, in spite of my best intentions, I fall into that trap. I fall into that trap. And so, so I, I feel very poignantly this parable poking at me in some of the places I want to keep safe. And it kind of depends on who we listen to. And you can listen to the forces in the world, the voices in the world, that, are very, that contribute to the polarizing. It doesn't matter if you listen to CNN or Fox. It doesn't matter. You can pick one or the other, both of whom are influential, but neither of whom are in the kingdom. And we need to remember that because it's very easy to be swayed by voices that are not even kingdom voices. And they define who's in and who's out, who's worthy, who's not. Who should be scorned? Who should be ridiculed? Who should be adopted and brought in? Who deserves all the pay? Who doesn't deserve anything? Do, 
Do we, do we do that? Do we humans who also want to be kingdom people so badly find ourselves drawing the categories? And we call them liberals or we call them conservatives or we call them left or we call them right or we call them Democrats or Republicans or, or okay, I'll just go ahead and just dig the hole. We call them Marxists or patriots or we call them black or Hispanic or Asian or immigrants or gay or trans or bi or just pick a category. Pick a category and there we'll find groups focused around us and them. And we buy into the language and attitude and we we. We rail against the threats that threaten our safe place that we think is right and good. And then we have to ask, wait, who, who, who are the ones that we've put first in line? Who are the ones that are last in line? The kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, is like this. It's a repudiation of the normal way that ha things happen in the world. It's a repudiation and a rebuke. It's a gentle rebuke of the us-them categories and division. He says to his friends, friends, you guys are here early. I love you guys. And guess what? You worked all day, and I'm so thankful. And you got what we agreed on. Now you can go. And you can go and, and be blessed and go spend your money however you want. I mean, you got what we agreed on. It's yours, and there's no need. For jealousy or greed or begrudging or resentment. And the landowner then does a most dramatic demonstration of irrational, abnormal generosity. I want to make a place for the last, for the least, for the ones who are left out, the ones who are relegated so often to the category of them. That's what I'm going to do. This parable that we're looking at right here is certainly about an eccentric landowner who's generous beyond belief, but it's also about the people who are invited to work in his vineyard. It doesn't appear that the landowner works the way that the workers chose to be. For him, there is no us and them. For him, there is none. Everyone is invited in. Everybody gets paid the same wage. He didn't give preference to the faithful hard workers. He didn't give preference to those who didn't fit in. He said, everybody come in. We're going to make this work for you. He invited them all, and he did it very publicly. Very publicly. He made no excuse. He didn't hide. He didn't kind of seek, sneak the one denarius through the five o'clock guys. He said, hey, I want everybody to see this. This is how it works in the kingdom. You know, God is probably pleased with our service at church. I, I, I hope so. I trust that he is. God is probably okay with our worship, the way we worship. And I mean all this. And I, I've been visiting churches. I've visited churches, many, many churches over the last several years. This is my own personal research project. I just kind of want to see what's going on. And I think God's probably pleased with our, our worship and our service and the things we do. But he seems here in this parable to be particularly interested in how readily we're willing to go to the back of the line. How quickly we look for the ones who are on the outside, the ones we could quickly scorn, the ones we could put in that them category and invite them. The ones who are still waiting say, come on in. There is a generous, unbelievable grace here that you cannot imagine, and it's available for you. Come on in. 
So here's what you and I grasp from this. We ought never stumble over free grace. We ought never stumble over the apparent free grace that is available to everyone, everyone. We of all people, we Christians should know that we don't deserve the grace we've received, right? We should know that. We of all people should be ready to push others to the front of the line, even people we don't agree with or people we think are lesser or people we think should be staying out on the fringes, people who will, who will you know, mess with our sacred spaces. We of all people should know that creating categories of us and them, who is worthy and who isn't, is not characteristic of the kingdom of God that Jesus describes here. We of all people should reject the polarizing language, the, the inclination that all of us will at some point or other sneak up against to draw these us and them categories, to listen to the shrill, shrieking voices of the world that said, we're right and they're not, we're in and they're not, we're us and they're them. We of all people know we should stay as far away from that as utterly possible. Because Jesus describes the kingdom very, very differently. My friends, the beloved people of Freedom Church, do you, do you see this? Do you see what he's saying to us? You and I, we really do want to recapture the best of who we are and what we have, what we had, what we will have but we really don't want to get back to normal. You and I want to be dramatically kingdom-focused people, the model of people who get at the back of the line and push those who are back there to the front and say, grace is available to you. We want to find the people who are ostracized, villainized, hated, shunned, and we want to show them an abundant, irrational, unbelievable, dramatic, generous grace because we've received it. So that's what we want to do. We should be the ones out front, courageous enough out front of the world, courageous enough to generously, lovingly take the lead in tearing down walls that all of us have been complicit in building, building bridges between us and people that we have excoriated and shunned in one way or another, and inviting the least and the last and the lost into this kingdom. What better opportunity do we have than right now? So as you rebuild, as you rediscover, reimagine, redefine, it's okay to find Christians who are church shopping and disgruntled by something going on in some other church, and all churches will have some growth that way. But I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. Uh, rebuilding ought to happen another way. Because we can be really crazy and abnormal and irrational grace givers if we choose to be. And we can step across the voids and the abyss and the, the ditches and we can get past the walls that we've built. We can rebuild with late comers. 
people who are still standing on the street corner shuffling their feet, or maybe not shuffling their feet, maybe loud and vociferous and, and irritating and undesirable and not very nice, those people, we can respond to them with an irrational grace. How about that? Now, that's something abnormal. That's different in the world. We can go to the scorned and the rejected and the ignored, the, the Mexican immigrant, the 20-something dropout who's couch surfing and broken and lost, the Asian co-worker, the divorcee, the single mother, the liberal Democrat, the anti-gun activist, the hate-spewing anarchist or nationalist. Oh, my gosh. I just named them all. No, there's a whole bunch more. But we can say, oh, it's the, them. They, they, they don't deserve it. That's them. We don't want them. No, guess what? They're the ones that you and I need to find a way to reach with an irrational, abundant, dramatic, generous grace that says, come on in. Come on in. Because the landowner, the Lord has said, I want you. And I want you in here. Come on in. Get to work. And I tell you what, if you approach somebody who you don't find all that desirable to be approaching and you approach that individual with a generous grace, he'll never see you coming. You can sneak up on him with grace. How fun would that be? How fun would it be to be that kind of shocking and strange individual in the world? So let's pray together for a minute, shall we? And when I say pray, let's just stop for a minute. And let me ask you to join with me in just a few moments of, of quiet, of, of reflection on this text, on this incredible story that Jesus tells. Let me ask you to do something as, as we're just in this, in this moment of reflection. Where do you find yourself in this story? Maybe you're still looking. Maybe you feel on the outside. Maybe you feel like on the outside looking in. Maybe you feel like one of those latecomers that's just been kind of pushed off to the corner. Maybe you do. Do you know that there's a grace available for you? An abundant, irrational grace that you don't deserve, I don't deserve, none of us deserves, but it's available for you. Do you know that? You can just say, Lord, I want that. I want that. I want to come into your kingdom. Maybe, maybe you're a long-time committed Christian, but somehow or other you find yourself because of all the loud voices and the weirdness of this time and all the discomforts that we have experienced, that you find yourself caught up in the us-them kind of activity, drawing lines, and maybe you want to say, Lord, I don't want to do that. I want to be that guy that sneaks up on them with generous grace. I want to be that guy. I want to be that woman. I want to be that teenager who sneaks up on my friends with generous grace. Or my enemies, as it were. The fact is, none of them that we classify as them are our enemy. Satan is the enemy. Not other people. And there's a whole bunch of folks in your sphere and mine who are standing around on the street corner, not even sure what they're asking for, who need to hear an invitation from you and me about an abundant grace. So where's your street corner? 
Where are, the, where are those folks? Where are you going to find them? Who are they? Who have you decided doesn't belong in your sacred space? But you realize, oh, I guess if I'm going to listen to Jesus, that's got to change. Let's, pr- let's pray now to this Lord, this generous landowner. Father, <clears throat> we, we, uh, we just stumble along in this world. Most of the time, we think we know what we're doing, and then we discover we don't. We're a little bit confused. And Lord, we, we think we're doing the stuff that we're supposed to be doing, and then we realize, no, kind of staggered off the path somewhere. Would you speak to us right now? We asked this earlier today. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us right now? Each one of us, right where we're sitting. Heavenly Father, if there's somebody here this morning who's still standing on the corner, not even sure what to do, but wanting desperately to be in the kingdom, would you lead that person at this moment to say yes to you? Just to say yes to you and then let you do the work. Would you reveal your grace? Would you reveal the power of your resurrection? Would you reveal the transforming work of your spirit and a love that does not fail? Would you reveal that? And in order, would you reveal that to each one of us? Because we're here. We're church people. We've, we've come here to, uh, uh, to, to worship and to serve. We realize if we listen to the story Jesus told, we may have some work to do. Would you lead us to make some decisions right now, some fresh commitments perhaps, a, a desire right now that wells up from within, engendered by your spirit to take us to new places, make us a different kind of people. There's some normal things we want to get back to, but there's a whole lot of normal we don't want. We want to be abnormal for your sake. Would you lead us to that place? in these moments. Father, as we both have set aside a few seconds to let you speak. May it be that we don't leave this place without, without in some way or other nailing down some decisions. We will trust you to be at work in us and change us and transform us according to your good pleasure and your good purposes. And we will not cease to give you thanks in everything both in this moment and every moment you see fit to give us. We pray in Jesus, in Jesus' name. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to the podcast this week. I hope you felt inspired. 
to take your next step of faith with Jesus. Just a couple next steps that you can take coming out of this. One, rate and review the podcast. That really does get the message out to other people faster, as well as click subscribe to make sure you get the latest content as it rolls out each week. And finally, if you want to partner with us financially, head on over to our website, click the word give. That's going to get the message out through our ministries further and faster. Have a wonderful week. God bless.